Please take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4 this morning. Philippians chapter number 4. I don't know if any of you personally have been involved in investing any of your personal income into what would be considered investments, whether it be in the stock market or other, or gold, or I hear Bitcoin is coming in. I have not gotten into that. Uh, but there are investments that people make. And uh, folks who get into investments do not get into investments to lose money, right? I mean, that's not, uh, some people take chances on purpose. I know of some folks personally who have, uh, I don't know fully how it works, but they'll actually in, invest in a way where they'll actually get involved where they'll try to, I forget it's called a short or something, where, they'll, where the, if the market goes down, they go up because of taking a risk and, and buying into something on that, even that day. And I know people who, if they caught it right one day, made big bucks or lost big time. And, uh, but anyway, the point is people don't get involved with investments unless they are feeling like they're going to make something out of it. But what's sad to me is that God's people here in our country, and um, we can fall into this trap even right here, we misplace our own financial investments and we miss out on the joy of investing in what God would have us to invest in. Now, there's nothing wrong, by the way, with investing appropriately and, uh, and seeing your money invested well. I know folks in our church who do that. I know I was talking to somebody recently who was able to retire sooner than most people because they had lived wisely and had invested very well and, uh, and they're being able to be a help to others. And so I'm, I'm not saying this at all in a negative way about investments. In fact, my point is we don't get involved in investments we don't believe are, are going to fail. We want to get involved in things that will work. But as we think about our own lives and it comes to uh, investing in the work of God, many times though, especially even at your age, uh, you can find yourself very focused on self and actually miss out on some big things. The sermon I'm going to preach, actually, I was thinking about what would be a good follow-up from the uh, conference you just had. And one thing that just came to my mind is an area that can really uh, get, um, can keep back young people especially and can, can really damage their faith is, is how they handle their own finances and how much they trust God in that area. You're facing school bills this, this month and next month and the months to come, and you have real-life um, uh, situations financially that you're facing. And I believe that when we look at the Word of God, we find very encouraging verses. We're going to see one here, but the context of Philippians 4.19 is a powerful context. And uh, we'll look at that here in just a minute. But as we think about our country, I want you to think about something. Did you know that the average giving in our nation uh, for believers is 2.5%? In other words, they give 2.5% of their income to, to the Lord. Uh, in the Great Depression, by the way, it was 3.3%. So we give less today per capita than during the Great Depression. Tithers make up an average of only 10 to 25% of average churches. So in the average church, again, uh, I know our church is much higher percentage than that, praise God, and many other churches that have folks who are fully dedicated to, to the Lord. I'm just talking about people who just give 10%. Uh, they're only 10 to 25% of average churches. People with a salary of less than 20000 um, are eight times more likely to give than someone who makes 75000 or more. Isn't that interesting? Average donation of adults uh, to give to churches is $17 a week. This is just within the last few years. If Old Testaments follow that just that, or excuse me, if Christians follow the 10% the, uh, standard, $139 billion would be freed up each year for the Lord's work. It's a lot of money. 17% of Americans in the last few years have reduced their giving. This is not before the pandemic. I don't know anything about since. 
7% have dropped it altogether. 77% of those who, who give 10% are at least actually do more than that and give at least 11 to 20% of their income. This was, a, uh, this was interesting from a study that somebody did on giving. People are more likely to give faithfully when they start younger. It's true. That's why it's part of the reason I'm preaching this to you now. But people are more likely to give faithfully when they start younger, as a teen or a young adult. And people who tithe regularly have less debt, and that is true, because you learn to live by God's priorities. And 8 out of 10, actually, in that category who are faithfully giving at least 10% of their income have zero credit card debt. That's a, quite a, a stat. And 28% of them are completely out of debt. It's, in, it's interesting that in America, and I don't, this was five years ago, and I don't know how the pandemic now um, would, would change things one way or the other, uh, but uh, over $5,000 is the average credit card debt for the average American, and those in the ages of 45 to 54 actually are almost $10,000. Again, that's a few years ago. I don't know which way it is now. Um, one in three say it's impossible for them to get ahead because of the debt they've incurred, and debt can come on very quickly to anybody. Now, I want you to think about something. When it comes to Christians, I just mentioned some interesting stats about believers in our country. I want you to think about now, I believe it's tied together, as we'll see here in several scriptures, but especially this one. The, think about the spiritual bankruptcy of our believers in America. We have a lot, don't we? But I want you to think about our bankruptcy. Divorce rate in our churches is almost as high as the world or higher in some cases. We're losing most of our kids to the world in our churches. Churches have turned into marketing centers. It's what people can get from them. Think about it. They're all, the appeal is what you can, can get out of it yourself. Entire cities now are almost completely without a solid gospel witness, and our communities, without a doubt, lack the fear of God. Now, I believe the two are tied together. When we live for the here and now, our priorities get misplaced, and we don't have the smile of God upon us. And we actually miss the greatest, most secure investment return. It's God's provision. I'm going to tell you what, right now, as I start out this message here this morning, the most secure return upon an investment is heaven. It's heavenly provision for you. That is, without a doubt, the most secure provision that you could ever have. And so in this verse, we're going to look at verse 19, and then the context around it. But in this verse, I think you're going to find the important truth that's here about the fact that when you have a life of giving, it will equal a life of provision. And so as you develop a relationship with God, a close, intimate walk with God, he's going to strengthen your faith in him. As he strengthens your confidence in him, he's going to cultivate within your heart a contentment. And as you are content and you're willing to give to his cause, nothing's holding you back, you will experience his provision in every area of your life, not just financially. So I'd like to look at this. So let's go ahead here and just read verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4 to start out with. Most of you could quote this verse. You've heard it so many times. Uh, but I think what makes this verse so powerful is the context in which it is placed. But verse 19 of Philippians 4 says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The first point I see here in this verse is that relationship strengthens confidence. You notice what Paul says here to the, to the Philippian believers. He says, but my God. Do you notice that? He, he, uh, he didn't say your God. He says, but my God shall supply all your need. And so if you look at the context of Philippians, you're going to find that relationship was the priority for the Apostle Paul. 
that relationship with God that strengthened the confidence in God. And for us, folks, it must be our priority. Look at, over with me a chapter at chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So you see this contrast here. We just read, but my God shall supply. Verse 19. He comes over, if you go over here in chapter 3 and verse 4, you see him talk about confidence, but he's saying, I could have confidence in the flesh. And then he lists out all the reasons why. He says, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. We see here the all-consuming passion that Paul had to genuinely know God. And in that passion he had to know God, he says, all right, all the achievements, everything that I've, I've done, everything that I've accomplished is absolutely nothing compared to knowing God. And so he lists it all out here. He says, all my work achievements. You may have some achievements that you've already made in your life that are pretty impressive. All the successes I've had. Of course, he was speaking here before he came to Christ, but I'm telling you that he was top-of-the-line kind of a guy. I mean, he was a leader of all, kind, of all leaders. His zeal was unbelievable to the point where the church, I mean, the way he persecuted the church was, if you look at it from a, um, an ungodly perspective, he was pretty impressive. I mean, he was just pulling them out of houses. He was taking care of business. I mean, he was all in. Okay, but yet at the same time, nobody could find a fault with him when it came to the keeping of the law. He just, in every way, he was, he was his training, following every aspect of the law. I mean, Paul had it all together. But he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. And he says, yea, doubtless I count all things, but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Now, it just starts here with the basic point. Especially as you've been challenged this last week, your relationship with God is absolutely, must be the priority. Some of you have even accomplished some amazing things. You, you actually have a lot going. So, some of you are straight-A students. You are impressive in that way. There's the things, you know, you have abilities that I sometimes go, wow, that's impressive. But not that those things are bad. Those things are very, can be very helpful. But you need to count all things but loss for what purpose? For knowing Jesus. That ability that God has even graciously given you, that all needs to be completely, almost in comparison like the garbage hill up there in Germantown, compared to knowing Jesus. Because then the rest will come into balance, and it will be absolutely perfect how God uses your life. But you cannot, you cannot let anything in your life be that which consumes you. It must be knowing Christ. Look at verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I may, might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. So you find here Paul, he's counting all life's achievements, all my pursuits, and everything is nothing compared to knowing God. And that pursuit he did with his whole being. You see that. Now, why am I saying this? This is basic things. You all know this. But this is the context of him being able to say, but my God shall supply all your need. You know, it's not a, a, just a glib statement, God will take care of you, God will supply your need, God's good, he'll take care of you, it'll be good, he'll, take, he'll, he'll meet that need you have, I know, I know he will. No, it came from a deep fellowship and walk in communion with God. He was passionate about it. 
And so relationship must be priority if we're going to have our confidence strengthened like Paul was able to. He says, but my God. But you'll also notice here that not only was he passionate to know God, but he was also, he had an all-consuming purpose to live out the reality of that dynamic fellowship. Look at chapter 4 now. Just this context is powerful. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So here he's challenging them, have a joy-filled life. Okay, if you're really walking with God, they ought to exhibit that. And then what does he talk about in verse 5? Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand, the idea of selfless living, not expecting more than you deserve. And then verse 6, be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, living without fear, having confidence in prayer. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. A life that exhibits the peace of God. And then verse 8, right thinking. Look at this. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, honest, and just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. And so Paul was a man who very clearly stated that I may know him, and that knowing him would result then in a life of joy and of self-control and moderation and peace and not having fear and confidence in prayer and thinking right as you see there in verse 8. And so he had a priority on this relationship that gave him confidence to be able to say, my God. Can, can I just say this, say, say this? Is your relationship such with God and the confidence that he's building in your life that you can look to somebody else and say, God will do that for you. I know him. I know who my God is. And you can look at somebody in the midst of some real trial, maybe even of need of provision, and you can say, my God will supply your need. Not just the facts that you know about God, but the experience of knowing him. That's what Paul had here. It was real when he said this. But we also find here, not only should our relationship with God be our priority to strengthen that confidence, but we find here the beautiful thing of how relationship does build confidence. Look at verse 9. Here Paul is expressing his heart, chapters 3 and 4. Really, the whole book is phenomenal. I love Philippians. But in chapter 4 here, he says this in, nine, in verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Wow. This relationship that he had established with the Lord and was dynamic and, and his fellowship with God was close, it built, such, it built such a confidence in him that he was able to say this. Look, the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in my life, do it. You know what will get you to verse 19 of chapter 4 is ultimately being able to have a life where somebody would be able, you would actually literally be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Could that be said of you? Could, could somebody come alongside you that you're discipling? I talked about this in my discipleship class recently. The reason we don't do very well at it is our life isn't a life that's worth following. The ups and downs spiritually, the inconsistencies, the discouragements, the depression, the not allowing the Spirit of God daily to be meeting our need in that walk with Him. It's not about all that you do for God. It's what you're allowing God to do through your life. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is consistent. He's every day walking in victory. And so here he had an unashamed testimony. I mean, I, I get, get stirred by the fact that he, he, he could say those things that you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Do it. My life's testimony, what I've taught you and what you've learned from my life is enough for me to be able to just say, do it. 
And then he says this. <clears throat> he says, and the God of peace shall be with you. So he not only had an unashamed testimony, but he was completely confident that God was going to work. He says, do it, and the God of peace shall be with you. I think about how Peter and John, who it was said of them in Acts chapter 3, the testimony, Acts chapter 3 and 4, the testimony was that they had what? Been with Jesus, right? They knew it. Well, that, that was the power that, the, the power of Jesus was the power that in chapter 3, the first few verses, gave Peter and John the courage to look at that lame man and look him in the eye and say, rise up and walk. It was that fellowship that they had, the confidence. It wasn't self-confidence. Look, isn't it amazing how God allows us to um, fall flat when we focus on ourselves? I mean, it's just, I've had some very personally embarrassing moments that God's allowed, and I look back and I say, thank you, Lord, because, you know, I was starting to get a little bit of a head thinking I, I, I could really do it, and I was, uh, maybe God had used me in some way, and God just reminded me, no, it's all about me. But you see here that relationship builds confidence, and that's where it all starts. I can't start in the, in the last part of the verse without mentioning those first few words, but my God shall supply. But this confidence then cultivates contentment. Notice this next part. Go back to chapter 4 and 19. It says this, but my God, confident relationship, he shall supply all your need. Confidence cultivates contentment. Let me say this again. If you have a confidence in God and you're walking with Jesus, he will cultivate a contentment in your heart where you can live with the idea of he will supply all your need. Now, contentment will become your lifestyle. Look back over in verse 10. Again, we're staying right here in the context of Paul's writing here. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me have flourished again, where ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of what, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You, feel, you find here in, in verse 10 that Paul had a consistent, thankful spirit for God's pr pr provision. Look back. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. He says, you know, he talked about, look, I know you were careful. You were looking for opportunities to give, and I'm just thankful for how God has touched your heart. He was just thankful and grateful for God's provision through these people. Now, let me ask you this question. How thankful are you when God actually does supply your need? Maybe it's just that $5 you needed, or maybe, maybe it's $5,000. I think of sometimes when God has just graciously given me a gift. I know, you know, in, in, the, in my mind, the moment I get something financially that God gives above and beyond, my first thought, this is my weird brain, I guess, but my first thought is immediately what I'm going to give on that. I just, I just, I guess I'm, I'm addicted to that, so I love to give. So I just think that. And there's been times when I had a, 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 I had a provision that I needed, and it was a, and actually God through somebody that didn't know anything about it, gave me a certain uh, amount of money, and I went, this is wonderful. And then I thought about what I was going to give on it. And I thought, oh, it doesn't quite meet the need. And that was, it was funny. I had a moment of, of just, even though I was so grateful, just that silly unbelief in my heart for just a second. Then the Lord said, no, you trust me with giving on that. And I'm going to, don't worry, the whole deal will be paid. And God always has. But sometimes we're, it's amazing how we're not grateful. I think of the story of, of this uh, Lord in, I think it was England, who uh, heard his cook exclaim one time. Uh, the cook said, oh, if I only had five pounds, wouldn't I be content? That was um, about uh, $25 worth, okay? So he heard that cook, and he thought, you know, if I'm going to be fed well, I better, 
I better do something about this. Cook didn't know that he had heard this. So he, shortly after, he handed her a five-pound note, and he, he stepped away, and she was just thanking him and thanking him and thanking him and thanking him. And then he paused outside the door to see what she, if she would express her thanks to, to God and, and her satisfaction. And as soon as she thought he was invisible, she said, why didn't I say 10? Are you content and thankful for the provision God gives you? You know, sometimes the danger is this. Maybe you have a $1,000 school bill, and you're working hard, and you're, and you're faithfully trusting the Lord the best you know how, and then God gives you just enough. And then somebody else stands up and says, my semester just got paid off. What's the temptation? It's to, be, to not be content with what God's given to you. It's to compare yourself to somebody else and think, wait, that, wait, wait, Lord, wait, why didn't I get more? Okay? But he was rejoicing. He was a man that was just, he had a thankful spirit. Do you have a thankful spirit when God provides for you? You know, it should sound like it's, it should be an automatic thing, but a lot of believers struggle with that. They're not grateful, and they especially don't appreciate the little things. You know what my wife and I have endeavored to do over the years? You know, we've needed big things that were impossible, but we've endeavored to, even the even those three pieces of clothes that somebody gave us that met the need, you know, some, you know, this lady in the church just recently, just her son had grown out of um, uh, certain size pants for my, that my son Paul would, would, would wear and uh, that would work with the uh, academy uniform. And, uh, and we, Paul was actually growing out of what he had. We didn't have anything for him. And they, she said, hey, you know, how, how about these? Would this work for you? Okay, three pairs of pants. I don't know. We could have got them for just a few dollars somewhere probably. You know what we did? We thanked the Lord. Those seemingly small things are wonderful tokens of just the goodness of God. See, and it's something you need to learn. Just practice that, that thankfulness and contentment for even the littlest of things. And it'll, it'll go a long way in your own heart. That's something we know. The, the Bible tells us to be thankful for everything. But Paul was rejoicing. But look at verses 11 and 12. We'll see a steadiness in his life. He wasn't up and down based on his financial circumstances. You see here, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now, I think this is really important. You see here not only a consistent, thankful spirit, you see in verse 10, but you find a steadiness in all aspects of life, and this is key. Look what he says first here. He says, I don't speak this in respect of want. He was very clearly telling them, this is, I am not talking about this because I have an ulterior motive. I'm trying to get more out of you. Sometimes we actually can make that mistake. We'll, we'll, we're sincere, but we'll give a testimony or say something because we want somebody else maybe to feel bad for us and, and their heart be pulled to, 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 to give maybe something else or somebody might see our need and, and whatever. Paul's saying, uh-uh, that wasn't my motive at all. And by the way, when you're truly content in God, you're not going to live in the sense of who else can you know, you know, you're not, th- you're not trying to think, who, how else could I get something? You're just, God, you're big enough. I, try, I, I trust you. I'm going to keep trusting you. I'm going to keep giving and, and live content. Paul didn't have a motive problem here. That's not what he was doing. So he's, he's confirming that here. He was content. But notice the secret. He says, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, is that something you can just do in your own strength? No. And you'll see here, he says, I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. But young people, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to struggle, in, especially when you get into ministry. Many of you are not going to make a whole lot. 
And you're going to find yourself tempted to look at your situation and maybe even compare it to, I don't know, another member in the church. You know, here you are driving around your family in a 15-year-old car, let's say. And then so-and-so from church rolls up in their brand-new 2035 Toyota whatever, okay? And uh, they come up there in that thing, you go going to hear it make a noise. You know, it's just purring. It's not even making a noise. And they're sitting there, and, you know, the whole thing is full of gadgets and stuff, and you're driving in your, you know, uh, early 2000s vehicle, whatever it is, you know, 30-year-old car now, we're, we're saying. But anyway, so you're there at that point, and there are temptations. I faced them myself a few times to just have that moment of, uh, oh, man, I wish I could. And then you start spiritualizing, well, I just wish I'd do better for my family, you know, and start coming up with ways that, you know what, um, that can, but, you know, a lot of times when that person comes up in that vehicle, not in every case, praise God, sometimes you, the thing is, is you have, you're not paying anything on that car, but they're sitting there in a car that they're, they got a $40,000 encumbrance. Um, so I think I'd rather have the 20-year-old vehicle with no encumbrance than dealing with that. Does that make sense? So, so it's not always what it looks like. Now, but I say this also, if God provides, as Paul says here, he had times when he was full, like literally fat, not physically, but it was like that. It's like that kind of abundance. And Paul says, I've had both. And when somebody is blessed and they, God gives them the means, rejoice with them. You know, learn to just enjoy the goodness of God in your life, the little things. But if God gives somebody a beautiful home or a beautiful car and, 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 and you know their priorities are in the right place, but God's given them that ability, rejoice with them. Learn to be content with what you have. You may never have much, but enjoy it. You know, it's, a lot, it's, it's actually a little bit more fun sometimes to not have a lot of means at times because then every little thing God does is just so delightful and so much fun. And you can talk about it as a family. Look what God did here. Look how he provided this here. And, and you learn to just enjoy it and to be content. That's what he's saying here. But that's a spiritual matter, though. I know a lot of Christians who are living chafing a lot about their finances. And that's, that's tragedy. That means they don't know their God like they should. You learn to be content. But he says here in verse 12, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry both to abound and to suffer need. Both full, that's the idea of like an animal that's being fattened, and hungry, uh, he was abounding and he was suffering need. He knew both. I mean, Paul had wealth at times, and he knew what that was like. He also knew what it was like to be practically destitute. He had learned both in his life. And he says, no matter what state I am, I have learned one thing. I have learned to be content. It ought never be heard from your lips, oh, I just wish I had. Or just, you know, if my family just had more means, it'd be a little easier for me. You know, this college student, their dad's paying their entire bill. By the way, that happens. Some of you, your parents are paying most of your bill. Some of you, your parents can't help you at all. You know what Paul's saying? Whatever state you're in, you need to be content. Some of you actually have everything being paid for you right now. You're actually almost in a more dangerous place, potentially. Okay, and I'm not, by the way, I'm all for that. That's fine. That's wonderful. If God's provided that, you should be grateful. But you can find yourself getting covetous and living for things that don't matter, too. All right? Now, this is interesting. Verse 13, he says this. This is the context of this verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's in the context of 
a passage here on living content. All right? I can do all things through Christ. Anything God calls you to do is possible. It's Him. It's always Him. So if He's calling you to live in a state where you really don't have much and you're really hurting financially, feels like you're just gonna, just gonna, you, that you're gonna break, he's got, he's got the enablement for you. If he gives you plenty, he's got the enablement to help you give and to keep yourself in the right place. Either way, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now, I want us to now think through the context of who he was talking to. Here's Paul giving his testimony. And now he's shifting his attention to what they've done and how they have learned giving. Look at verse 14. He says, Notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica you sent once and again unto my necessity. I mean, he said, you guys were relentlessly checking up on me, making sure I had what I needed. And you, no church, uh, when I departed from Macedonia, communicated with me. Uh, but ye only, you, you guys were way above and beyond anything else I experienced for sure. And you communicate with me in my need, in my affliction. Now look quickly, put, keep your finger there and turn over to 2 Corinthians, please. You hear this section of scripture quite often, especially during stewardship months, <clears throat> faith promise giving and just even uh, messages about regular giving. This is speaking of the same uh, church is here, the Macedonian church, the church of Philippi is from there. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God. In chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that they would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we had hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Then look over at two verses in chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth, a cheerful giver. Unselfish living leads to extravagant giving. The Macedonian church was not a wealthy church. They didn't have means much at all. He says poverty. He uses the word poverty. And I, and I know that part, that was not the, the wealthy part of Greece. There was a lot more poverty there than maybe more of the rich places like Achaia and other places. And so here you have here you have these cities uh, that were in Macedonia, and you have specifically the Philippian church was not a wealthy church. So we're not talking about people who had a lot, who could give a lot. We're talking about people who Paul describes as, you gave so abundantly, you gave almost ridiculously. I mean, you gave beyond your power. It's impossible what you did. It's incredible I bear record to this. And he says, God loves a cheerful giver. God loves somebody whose heart is completely free. And they know that when they, they sow bountifully, that God's going to enable them to reap bountifully. They're not holding anything back from whatever he tells them to give. And they just are, keep dishing it out. And they know that the more that the God helps, helps them to dish out, he'll put in even with a bigger shovel. Okay? They, they understand that, that, um, that context. I remember several times in, in our lives that God has touched us with moments where we gave sacrificially above and beyond our regular giving. 
And, uh, and God had gotten us to the point where our regular giving was, would be considered sacrificial percentage-wise to our regular uh, our, to our income. And, and so giving an extra above and beyond gift was uncomfortable. Uh, the first one would be the Heritage Center back in 2008 and 2009. And then the other big, big significant gift that God put on my heart for me, big, big, uh, was the land. In both cases, I knew when God told me to give it and what it would be that it was going to be painful. It was. It just was. I mean, and I don't necessarily say that people should do this, but we basically gave everything we had. And it was not because of constraint or pastors manipulating or whatever. It was purely the Spirit of God saying, do this. And I remember telling uh, my wife, I said, you know, looking ahead, I knew that um, even though we were careful with our money, we had no debt of any kind, no car payments, nothing. I said, this is still going to be tough, okay, because we're not giving in. We're not taking away from a regular giving, but we're just going to have to trust God. And uh, in 2009, it got to a very low point in the summer of nine going into the fall that I had never experienced, haven't really experienced since. Uh, it was, you talk about scraping the barrel, we were literally scraping the barrel. And I kept it quiet. We just talked about it. We prayed about it ourselves. And, and uh, let me just say that within the next year, God gave me back everything I had given to him. It was a miraculous thing. But there was such joy in that moment when we gave. I, didn't, I, I knew it was going to be tough, but I told my Wife, we both agreed to it that God told us to do this. He's going to take care of us. But it was, it was tough. Remember when we gave for the land, and some of you have heard the story, God clearly worked in my heart in prayer. It was a key moment in my life. And he said, do this. And, and God, he, um, he led us to give. And I'm telling you what, God's given me back so much more than I deserve. And God does it differently for everybody. My story is not. That's why I don't want to say too much about my story, because my story is going to be different than your story. That's the danger sometimes even... Courtship stories, if you look just at the specifics and you miss the principles, sometimes you can just get caught up with the specifics, even though they're beautiful things, and I'd love to tell my story. But I don't want to get you caught up with that, but let me just say this. When God puts it on your heart to give, and you give, even if it may put you to the point where you feel like you're literally going to be destitute, he always takes care of you. But that's in the context here of people whose priorities were in line. They understood it's God shall supply all your need, not what you want and all the neat things that are out there. We live in a materialistic world where, oh, I got to get this and I got to have this and whatever. And God gives us things, but we have to be careful. We understand that we don't just go out and spend, spend, spend. And then we give, give, give. And then, God, you take care of my, my uh, spending, spending. No, 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 that's not how it works. God calls us to be good stewards. But part of the reason God has worked in my heart about being a good steward of what I have is I want to be able to give and not be held back because I've not been wise about my own stewardship. But it's interesting here. Look at uh, verses 17 and 18. He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all in abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. What happens when God's people are content with what they have, as he works in their life, he leads them to give extravagantly above and beyond, as we find in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. What happens then? The needs of the ministry are met. The needs are met. That's what he says. Look, I have all and abound. I am full. I have received of Epaphroditus the things that were sent from you. And he talks about how it's an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So God meets the needs, but you also notice here, he says fruit, in verse 17, would abound, his heart was that fruit would abound to their account. And we find also here that God is pleased. 
It's a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Extravagant giving, generous giving in the context of somebody who's content with what they have always leads to God's work being further. Let me just say this, young men. If you do not learn at your age to give according to how God would have you, have you give, and, he, and, and that means not just the bare minimum of what I believe the Bible teaches clearly about what we should be doing. I'm talking about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and giving that way. And young ladies, do the same thing so you can support your husband someday. If you don't learn that now, how are you ever going to lead a church to say, hey, God's telling us to do this. We need to believe God by faith, but you're the one that can't barely even trust God for 10%. You see what I'm saying? It needs to be that in your heart you can stand up and say, but my God shall supply your need according to his riches. Why? Because he's done it in my life and I know he can do it in yours. There's a lot of things I need to grow in in my Christian life, including this area. But I'm going to tell you, I've experienced enough that I can say with confidence that if you get a hold of God in this matter, if you walk with God and you stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and you give regularly, you give sacrificially above and beyond, and you give when God leads to special needs and, and, um, and, and when the causes need to be furthered and you give generously, I can tell you one thing confidently, that God will take care of you. Period. Now, it's not always easy. Trust me, I have some stories. It's not easy. Even this summer, okay? God gave me six years ago a van, that red van I used to have, Cliff Ford van, the red van, as we call it, Cliff Ford, uh, or Big Red, okay? All right, that van was in 1996. I got it in 2015. My father-in-law said, hey, there's this van down Missouri, this Christian family that I know has, and, and uh, it'd be great in 1996. I'm like, I don't even want to touch a 96 van. It'll be a repair city, you know? I didn't want to touch it. He said, 2500 bucks. Like, well, that was a little more rapid. Okay. So I said, send, send me some pictures. He did. They kept it in the garage, maintained it. I said, well, 2500 bucks. I mean, you can't really lose on that uh, with, with the vehicle. And uh, so I went ahead and got it. And I, the old ore was definitely in it. That van lasted us six years. That's really good. And I barely, only tires. And then just a few, you know, the, mate, the, mate, the basic upkeep and a few little things that had to be tweaked. That was it. That's all I had to put into it. That's it. Well, the van would not pass the Southeast Wisconsin stringent emissions test because of the computer that would connect to the port, you know, the port there, whatever, uh, the, the connection they had, it just it fried out. It just wasn't working. And just to put the money into that would have been a waste. And uh, at this point, with the van's worth, and I thought, oh, man. Well, what am I going to do? August 1st was my deadline. I won't give you the whole story, but I'm going to tell you one thing. A year plus ago, when I knew I was going to probably start facing this crisis, I had nothing for a van. Nothing. Nothing. To the glory of God, I can tell you, through a miracle of God's grace, there's stories, stories, lots of different stories that bring it all together, not just one thing, a lot of different factors. I was able to go to that car dealership there in Iowa, where, where we got the miracle, we got the van. We probably got six, $7,000 less than we should have the van I have now. I was able to pay them cash. That's a miracle. It's a total miracle. It doesn't make me anything special. In fact, I'm very humbled by that story. I had another need. My roof had to be replaced. And all I'm going to say is I was able to pay that off immediately. It got done. It got done in a miraculous way. I would never have dreamed it could have been done the way it was. God will supply all your need. I'm going to tell you what, though. A year ago, I was fretting about it. How am I ever going to do this roof? I mean, you asked pastor. I asked him that. How would I ever do this? I can't afford a roof right now, but I need to do it. You know, he heard me say the unbelief side, right? 
uh, he's had a few of those moments with me. He's had to work me through sometimes. But God's quickly brought me back to, I'm going to supply your need. Don't worry about it. And he has every single time. It doesn't make me a special person. You know what it does? It makes my God a special God. Because I have failed sometimes in my own heart saying, Lord, I don't think so. I don't think you can do this. I remember back in June when I told my kids, okay, it's a crisis. The van has to be replaced. It's not us talking about it any, any, anymore. It's reality, okay? Literally, if I drive the thing after August 1st, the police can come behind me and pull me out. You get the kids to really get the idea that it's illegal to drive this van. You know, it has some little fun. Little kids. I didn't really do all that, but that's the idea. I said, so we need a miracle. You know what my son Stephen said? He looked at me and said, Dad, I know that you give to God. And I know that God's met every need before. So I'm not worried about this one either. That stirred me as a dad. I said, God, help me to be a man of faith. Help me not to pull back. I want to have that kind of heritage. I want my kids to know that you seek the kingdom of God first in his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. And he's given us just the exact vehicle that, that, that we needed. It's not a brand spanking new car, which would have been fine if it had been. But it's perfect for us. It's perfect. It, it couldn't have had the need met more perfectly. And so when you give to God's work, he will meet your need. By the way, when I have a need now financially, when my wife and I do, we don't doubt whether or not God's going to take care of it. We just talk to him about how he's going to do it. Why? Because when you have confidence in your heart that you have obeyed God like these, bat, these Macedonian believers did, that's how God works. You know where you lose that confidence is when you're holding back on God. Every time I write that check every Sunday, and I still do that, I don't give online, uh, I write my check. Every time I write my check on Sunday morning and put it in the offering envelope and, and put it in the offering plate, I always just say in my heart, thank you, God. Thank you for all you've done for me. This is just a simple way to say thank you, and I just can't wait to see what you're going to do this week. Can't wait to see how you're going to provide for me because I trust you. I trust you. I love, I love it when God gives a little bit more. I love just put more in there. Why? Because he's so good. That needs to be the way that all of us live. Look, can you imagine the joy every service if when we came to the offering we just couldn't wait? To give, not because of us, but just God's so good. That would be the way it should never, you should never feel constrained. Even if you feel like you have nothing, God prompts your heart to give. You need to give as he provides for you. Give, and you'll experience great joy. And then quickly, contentment unlocks provision according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I've already talked a lot about the provision, but you know, true contentment protects you from covetous prey. This is a problem. A lot of people get this disillusioned. They think, um... God didn't provide this for me. Well, there is a difference between lusting for something, covetousness, and a genuine need. And God knows what your needs are. And he even knows the timing in which you need it, right? James 4 talks about that when we pray, when we try to ask to consume it upon our own lust. But when we're truly content, God keeps us from that. When we're walking with him. And so we're really insecure because we don't know if God's answering our prayer or not. But we don't, we don't know what it means to ask according to his will. And I remember when we were at... Uh, um, the governor's mansion in 2016, and we had the crisis needing a bus at the time. I think it was our second of the three. Uh, and uh, I remember this lady asked the governor something along the line of, how can you even know if you're praying and it's not something you just want or if it's God? You know? And he actually had a pretty good answer from the Bible. Uh, but I thought about how many believers live that way. They're just insecure when God can give you security in that. And then faith-filled obedience accesses God's provision. He shall supply according to his riches. Here's the thing I want you to get. This is a conditional promise. It's not just a blanket statement for every Christian. This is in the context of a church who was giving. 
You give, God will give. Okay? A man who grew richer even though he gave... By the way, this is not a health, wealth, and prosperity thing. Okay? Not at all. It's just God will meet your need. He didn't say all your wants and desires and all the things you dreamed of. No, he'll meet your need. But the man who grew richer, even though he gave generously to worthy causes, was asked how this was possible. He replied, I don't know. I just keep shoveling it out, and God keeps shoveling it in. I guess his shovel is bigger than mine. And it's true. But it's far more than just financial. I don't want you to think that's all I think about. When I give to God, he says he'll, give, he'll, he'll, um, he'll supply my need by his, according to his riches and glory. It's not just uh, financial. It's spiritual. It's faith being built. It's seeing God work. It's experiencing his hand. And uh, you will experience the fact that his provision is limitless according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So let me just ask you this right now as you think about your own life. And I know you're in a different situation than me. I know it's easy to think, well, I get out and I fart and I get income. And look, okay, I have our ninth child's on the, on the way. Life's expensive. You know, anytime now I think about a vehicle, it's always big van now, right? Okay. Everything we do. You know, it's big. Okay, it's expensive. It's not just my wife and I. You know, I think what our food budget was when I was, we were just married like 20, 30 a week. I mean, my wife was super careful. 40 a week, I don't know what it was. Uh, it's not that now, okay? <laughs> it's not even that a day sometimes, you know? The point is this, uh, that no matter what stage you are in life, you've got to learn what Paul learned. Fellowship with God. Allow that confidence to come that will give you a contentment in God. As you have contentment, you're going to learn what it means to give because you're not consumed with self. And as you give, you're going to unlock the fullness of God's provision. Some of you are lacking that confidence because you don't know what it means to be content and don't know what it means to give, even at this stage in your life right now. But God wants you to learn that.